Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to uh, Royals Review Radio, and this is the uh, inaugural episode of our podcast. I'm your host, Max Reaper. I'm the editor of Royals Review. We're a site dedicated to the American League champion Kansas City Royals and part of the SB Nation network of blogs. You can find us on the web at www.royalsreview.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at Royals Review. Uh, we decided to start this podcast after uh, the readers demanded it, and uh, we'd, of course, love to hear your feedback on things we can do to improve. Uh, I'm, this is our first try at this, and I'm sure we're going to do lots of things wrong. So, you know, if you have any comments as far as content or technology we can use to improve, uh, if you just don't like the sound of my voice, anything you can think of to improve the podcast, let us know. Uh, that way, we, like the Royals, uh, will improve. So we'll post this podcast over at Royals Review, uh, and then in the, you can post your, com- your feedback in the comments section. Our first two guests should be familiar to most regular readers of the site. Uh, Sean Newkirk is our resident scout, and he writes primarily on uh, minor league prospects and the amateur draft. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at SeanCore, S-H-A-U-N-C-O-R-E. Uh, Sean Newkirk, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Max. Hi, everybody. Also with us is uh, Josh Dugan. Uh, he's known for his game threads, his off-topic culture threads, and his uh, disdain for men wearing sandals. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Old Man Dugan. That's D-U-G-G-A-N. Josh, welcome to the show. Howdy. We have uh, never had a show before, so uh, we'll have an entire off-season to cover. Yes. Uh, the Royals are the defending American League champs, which is something I'll never get tired of saying. Uh, they retain much of their pennant-winning club, but they have a couple of significant holes to fill this year. Uh, they have three big free agents with James Shields, Billy Butler, and Nori Aoki, all impending free agents, and the Royals did not seem too interested in bringing back any of those guys. I think we were all kind of surprised when we saw Billy Butler quickly sign with Oakland uh, for a three-year, thirty million dollar deal. Uh, Josh, we'll start with you. Were you kind of were you surprised at all that Billy received that kind of offer? And should the Royals have made more of a run at him? Um, I don't know that they should have made a run at him. Uh, I don't really particularly think he's. I, I wouldn't want to commit three three years to him. Um, it, I mean, the, the annual price tag's not terrible, um, but I thought he would have signed for for less than Oakland signed him for. Um, so yeah, I can't say I'm surprised, and I kind of wanted them to move in the direction of of like a you know platooning DH corner outfield. Kind of knowing the price. I mean, I know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but knowing kind of what he went for, knowing the market now, the twelve and a half million dollar option the Royals had on him, does that maybe seem like something they at least should have considered more, or 
I mean, is it just should we kind of give him a pass because it didn't seem like the market was going in that direction? I I don't know. I think it's hard to say they should have committed the twelve point five. I I mean I don't know. I would have moved on were I them. Right. Sean, you know, there were grumblings all summer that the Royals didn't like having a full-time DH clogging the roster, especially one that wasn't hitting like Billy was. Uh, but then they went out and, of course, signed a full-time DH in uh, Kendris Morales. Uh, what do you think was the thinking there? Was it was it kind of just adjusting, or, or were they just kind of throwing a smoke signal out? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I Kind of what Josh was saying, I I think I like I, – I like Butler at 10. That's about a one or so win, which – for DH, you know, you got to hit. And Butler Butler hit. I mean, I think he had a career 110 or so, whatever it is, WRC+. plus. So, you know, he's he's an above-average hitter. But for DH, I mean, hitting that for $10 million, yeah, that's reasonable. Twelve and a half, you're pushing it. And then now with Morales. And what was the – remember what the contract is on Morales? I can't recall it all. Uh, I want to say it was $17 million. Is that something right? Six and a half this year and for eight two. and a half. Yeah, eight yeah. and a half next year. Yeah, and, you know – they're going to love the, the bounce-back narrative. You know Rex Hudler is going to just keep talking about that <laughs> for the year. Um, so, yeah, that's not too bad. It's it, Again, it's just about a win. Set a million for a win. So just about worth one overall win, which Morales, I mean, he's got the power. You know, you're going to have strikeouts and low on-base percentage. But, yeah, I think for that, that's not too bad a deal. And it was strange seeing that they are going to fully just go away. Uh, or just go straight only now to a DH and keep that going rather than the kind of group thought that everybody on Royals Review agreed with that they should do some sort of platoon and get Dyson in a lot more in the right field and kind of mix into that. So it is a little peculiar, sure. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's pretty clear that Torrey Hunter was kind of their prized, you know, yes. prized free agent they coveted this offseason. And when they didn't get that, maybe, maybe Morales is their plan B. I don't know. Uh, I also am curious, you know, if Butler was willing to do maybe a two-year deal, would the Royals have been more receptive? I don't know. Right. It seemed like they they had an emphasis on emphasis on short-term deals. So I guess we may never know the, the full story there. Um, At least he looks happy though. If you if you follow him on Instagram, he's oh, like, it's just horrible seeing him in that awful <laughs> Oakland yellow. <laughs> <though, doesn't> it? <laughs> it made it made me ill. I, I can't lie. Um, hey Josh, so you know the Royals are obviously banking on this narrative of Morales bouncing back, and he was just he was awful last year. As bad as. Billy Butler was Morales was just ten times worse. Do you think he can bounce back? I mean, he he missed all spring training last year, uh, and if he does, what what kind of player do you expect him to be? I mean, I think he won't be as as like abysmally terrible as he was last year. Um, but I I still I don't see him being worth more than half a win. So I'm kind of I I don't think it was money well spent. But Josh, the home runs. Yeah. yeah, home runs. Come on, <laughs> he's he's hit them before. Yeah, that's. <laughs> that's well, it's interesting how much the team like de-emphasizes home runs, and then they sign a guy like this who's really only skill seems to be hitting home runs, and <laughs> to, who knows with the Royals. Yeah. Uh, their next move was going out and signing Alex Rios to a, a one-year deal. I think it was twelve and a half million dollars with a club option for 2016. Josh, on a scale of one to ten, with Unieski Betancourt being number one, and James Shields maybe being a number 10. Just how excited are you about the Alex Rios era in Kansas City? Uh, uh, three or four. <laughs> that excited, huh? Yep. <laughs> well, are we doing – is Uni – Uni being one, is that the, the time they re, that they brought him back? 
I don't know. I was pretty upset both times they brought him in. <laughs> yeah. I was more pissed the second time than I was the Yeah, first just because it was the devil you knew, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> Sean, the, the projections don't seem to like Rios much at all. He's, I think he's going to his 35, age 35 season. What, yeah. what do you expect out of him? And there's, is there any hope of any upside with him? Yeah, you know, projections, I, I, I just pulled up Steamer. It's got him worth half a win. So for a one year deal, you know, half a win worth, I don't know, uh, Three million is worth it, maybe, but no, not for what he's getting paid. And yeah, of course, him being what will be age 34 there with, you know, one of his lowest home run seasons he's come off of or the lowest home run season he's ever come off of. Uh, and he's kind of declined in home runs and it looks like an ISO pretty much for the past couple of years. So yeah, that's, uh, it's nice to look at the four win Alex Rios back in 2012, but uh, it's, it's tough to think, you know, four years later here, three years later that, you're going to get even a, a two win, which would be great, but you're looking probably one win or maybe even less than that, you know, given his age and anything like that. So it's it's tough, yeah. Is, now, the, the, do the projections not like him so much because of defense? Is it is that weighing uh-huh. him down, or is it just all around? He doesn't seem like a very good player next year. So the fans, so Fangraphs has their fans, and they're a little more optimistic by about a third of a win. So they have him worth basically one win. Steamer has him worth basically half a win. It looks like, what is it? Um, no, I don't know what it is. It, it looks like they they really don't like him aging his defensively. They look like they have him projected for a below 100 WRC+. plus. So uh looks like some bad bit progression as well on there. So, yeah, it's I bet it's just with the age and kind of just not going to hit as well. He wasn't really ever, at least defensively, you know, it's been years since he's defensively been loved by the metrics. So mm. I think it's going to be Babip and his overall batting line just looks like in decline. And for a right field only, that's a, that's an extremely, you know, hard to be a positive player with a sub 100 WRC in right field, unless you're Mike Trout or, or you know, Peter Bohr just moved over to right or something like that. Right. And I was talking when the Royals were interested in trading from last summer, I, I talked briefly to the, uh, the guy that runs the Rangers side on SB Nation and he was kind of telling me that Rios is a guy that was hard to watch. Like he is a guy that misses cutoff men, does you know throws to the wrong base. So my my prediction is by midsummer, this will be a guy that both the stat guys and the mainstream fans can both unite on. That yeah, I don't think he's going to be a fan favorite at all. I just boo together. Sure. Yeah, and he, he was benched a couple times in Chicago for not hustling. He's going to be the guy that doesn't look good with your eyes and doesn't go look good in the stat sheet. And it's, I, it doesn't, it looks like a disaster written all over it to me. But I you think the fans though, the casual fans, you think they'll love them though, just cause they, if he hits like 10 home runs by yeah. August, maybe, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> we'll see. I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't, he's 34 years old. I, that's, I don't take a future there. Sure. Um, you know, we have James Shields departing. It looks like uh, the Royals signed a pair of pitchers, not really to replace him, but to kind of mitigate his departure a little bit. Uh, first of all, they signed pitcher Edison Valquez of the Pirates, who, unlike Rios and Morales, actually was pretty good in 2014, at least wasn't terrible. Uh, Josh, what, did you, what was kind of your impression of the Valquez signing? I think they got him for two years. Uh, I want to say $17 or $18 million as well. Um, was that a good value? Like, what, what, what did you think of that signing? I, I, I hate it. I hate that sign. <laughs> I really dislike it. Uh, there's, I just don't really see any way that that he's going to be wor- certainly worth the money. I don't think he'll be worth the money. I like his. He, he was a 
big beneficiary of uh, low batting average in balls in play, if I remember correctly, because didn't didn't F Ward not particularly like him. Um, and I just like two two of the last four years, his ERA was well over five. Yeah, he's definitely uh, a high volatility guy. Yeah, and I just I I just. I just think the chances of him being terrible are way too high, especially to commit the the length in years, the the two years. Like, one-year deal, I guess it wouldn't be terrible, but it's not that, so. In my last year, he did, I mean, he had a good year last year. Uh, some of that was uh, declining walk rates, but he also had a declining strikeout rate as well. I've heard some people suggest that maybe some of that was uh, his catcher last year, Russell Martin, who's supposed to be known for his framing ability. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Salvi has quite that reputation with the metrics. No, at least. he's pretty terrible. Yeah, that's what I understand. Uh, Sean, what do you think moving to a catcher like Salvador Perez, if, if there is an effect with that, as well as moving to the American League and moving to this ballpark, what kind of effect do you see that having on his numbers? I don't know. There's, And I'm with Josh. I I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but I, I, I hate the the signing. I think it's one of the worst ones I I could think of in, in recent history and because it's a two-year deal specifically. Um, and kind of just look at it, and you can tell why the Royals signed him because they, they saw the 3.04 ERA, and they're thinking, okay, here we go. You know, he's only 30. You know, this is this is what we're paying for. But, I mean, just looking over the list of similarities to him last year, you know, Madison Bumgarner, Jeff Samarja, Sonny Grace, Steven Strasburg, they all had ERAs right around his. And then you see Edison Volquez, and you're thinking, okay, I mean, what stands out there? Obviously, it was a well-overachieving year, best year he's had in a long time. And by the advanced metrics, he, he wasn't even – he wasn't worth one full win. So, yeah, I hate the signing. Moving with Perez, I just can't see it doing much. He's not somebody that strikes out a lot. And with Perez not being a particularly good pitch framer – you don't you won't see much improvement there. You could maybe even he strikes out less because he's a poor framer. So yeah, just a, a and also the uh, emphasis on pitching and contact here, <laughs> right? Right. Something uh, pitchers usually don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, well, lest anyone call us critical spirits, the Royals did sign former Braves pitcher Chris Medlin, which I think was widely uh, praised on our site uh, as a terrific move. Sean, why do you why do you well, what's the upside here? Why why was it so praised by so many yeah. on our site? I think everybody saw he's not too old. Um, I think he's 28 or 29. So I think people like that. And he had that couple back-to-back really great years, even coming off of Tommy John. You know, second year through Tommy John is tough, or second time through. I wrote that article about it, and there wasn't much to be hopeful for in that case. But um, once a really good pitcher, really great command. So I think that's the, the big praise of it. And I think it was a really ridiculous I don't remember the contract. They're paying him like $2 million this year, I think. Yeah, right. It's, yeah, it's something really low. Yeah, and that's, I mean, for anybody, that's almost a worthwhile contract, let alone someone who just put up, I think he was almost a, a four-win pitcher uh, a couple years back. So right, when he said that. Yeah, so that's a really good deal on that, since that's that's likely why it had fanfare and uh, real great buy low candidate. Definitely my favorite signing. Do you, do you recall any of the other, any of the other pitchers who've had two uh, Tommy John surgeries and recovered? No, I, I don't because they were all – not all no names, but they 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 didn't survive right. for the most part. So hasn't Joe Nathan had to? Oh yeah, and I actually I think did Joaquin Soria. Just yeah, I was gonna say Soria. Yeah. I believe was yes. one of them. Okay, but relievers may be different for starters. Right. I think it wasn't a very good list. Mm-hmm. Josh, how do, you know, knowing that he has had two Tommy John surgeries, uh, the Royals have been kind of praised more recently by at least Randy Gisarelli and a couple others for their handling of injuries. I don't know if that's luck or if that's Nick Kenny and the medical staff. 
just how healthy do you expect him to be over the next couple of years? Will the Royals get get their money's worth out of this guy? I mean, I think it's a worthwhile risk. I, I don't. I I really don't know. I thought I thought Zimmer would be healthy this year. So <laughs> let's ask Andy McCulloch about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm not hopeful that he, I'm obviously not really very much of an optimist in general. <laughs> so I'm not hopeful that he or I'm not expecting him to be healthy. But I think it's impossible to argue that it's money poorly spent. Like I think. You know, Medlin has the upside of being a, you know, legit, like, at least borderline number two starter. And for the amount of money guaranteed, it's well worth the risk. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I don't, I don't think there's any reason not to like this move. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, like you said, when he's healthy, he's a four-win pitcher, you know, and he's young enough maybe you know, he can even be better than that if he's healthy. Uh, and with Guthrie possibly being a free agent next year, you know, he's hopefully. a great guy to slot into that. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Uh, he's a great guy to slot in that rotation and kind of give you another another guy that's not a you know number five starter unlike you know Edison Valquez. Uh, so yeah, I think there's it's easy to see why a lot of people on our site like this move. Uh, so I, I looked up, I've got the list here. The best pitcher to come back is Chris Capuano, uh, which okay. which I mean, how, Cap- do you know how long he's been ago, good? How long yeah. ago was that? Uh, he missed it. Just kind of looking through, looks like wasn't the last one two thousand ten. Yeah, he so he's he's been a starter since then, I guess. Yeah, yeah, so he's been yes, that's the best case. I mean, again, it's a small history. I think it's a total of ten players that, after all the qualifications and criteria I put through with the list, but I mean, it's Brian Kelly, Brian Wilson, Joaquin Soria, usually Jason Isringhausen. So you see relievers for the most part come back, but um, other than Chris Capuano, Doug Brocal, I've never who I never heard of before this, and I'm not an old school baseball guy, so that's likely why. But I remember he's a, he's a middle reliever, I believe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so there you go. Yeah, it's mostly. Yeah. And we don't know. I mean, maybe medical. You know, they're learning a lot about you know all the time. Who knows with medical technology? You know, I'm the op- I'll be the optimist to Josh Dugan's negativity, and I'll say Chris Mellon's perfectly healthy over the next couple of years, and we won't have any issues with him. There you go. <laughs> Uh, well, I was talking about James Shields earlier. Um, we are taping this February 8th, Sunday. He hasn't technically signed yet. There are rumors he is pretty close to signing with the Padres, which are kind of his hometown team. He's from Southern California, I believe. Uh, reports, I believe, are he's going to sign about a four-year deal, 70 to $80 million. He'd been searching for over $100, $110 million in a five- or six-year deal earlier this offseason. Uh, knowing that the market has kind of dried up and uh, – you know he's not getting the money he look, he sought after. Do you think? Uh, we'll start with we'll start with uh, Sean first. Do you think the Royals maybe should have uh, waited him out and seen what the market would bear, or was it just best for them to move on? Yeah, you know what? As much as you miss Will Myers, that what they got on Shields might be probably the best case scenario they could have gotten. Two years of a, I mean a, a three four win pitcher there um, took the mound for what two hundred plus innings every single both those years. So. I think that's it's, it's great value they got. He's getting into the latter stages. He'll be 33. You know, he's looking for. I think he started at 100 million. Now he's down to about 70 to 80 million. So, I think I think the Royals did the best job they could have done it, uh, outside of trading Will Myers. But you know, they did the best as far as what they got back, and they just cut ties, which is the, the smart move that they could have do. No move was the smart move in this case. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, re-signing him would have been a disaster. It would it it would have been. Like a ch- a ton of money. Uh, can we swear? <laughs> oh sure. Uh, so yeah, it would have been a shitload of money. 
uh, and it would have been committed to a guy who I'm not crazy about, you know, in year three or four of that deal, let alone, yeah. I mean, year, year one and two, obviously probably be worth the money, but I just, I don't see any way that it would have made sense for a team with the Royals budget to uh, allocate that sort of money to James Shields. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's a study out there, but you know, I'd be really interested in seeing what the track record is on pitchers signing like four-year deals and how how much teams get their money with, money worth. Because it seems like yeah, the first it seems year or like two maybe, terrible. but but yeah, you're it's like you have to write off year four, five, and six because you're not getting your money's worth. And it'd be like 150 percent larger, or it'd be you know a time and a half the size of the world's largest contract ever too. Uh, so that's another thing where right. you really want that on the shoulders of your 33 through age 36 pitcher, you know, that is just at however many, almost 2,000 innings for his career. So, yeah, that's scary. Yeah, especially with the arbitration, you know, eligible guys getting more and more expensive every year. It looks like right. 2016 and 17, there's going to be some some hard choices to make. And having right. a 15 to $20 million contract on top of that, that's, yeah, I don't see that's how that's really uh, something they can handle. Uh, so, Looking back in the offseason, oh, I guess we didn't even talk about the Aaron Crow trade, which I assume you both <laughs> were just ecstatic about. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, looking at the big four, I guess, signings they had this offseason, how would you, you kind of rank them? We'll start with you. We'll start with Josh. Uh, okay. Well, obviously, Medlin number one with a bullet. Uh, and then there's like a huge gap, <laughs> <laughs> like gigantic. Uh, Jesus. And then, man. I guess Volquez, and then <laughs> I hear that I hear that bottom of the barrel. Yeah, and then I mean Rios because it's one year over over Morales, who I I don't like having for two years. John, what about you? Yeah, I think it's easy. Medlin number one, uh, trading Aaron Crow two. I I, I kind of I, I like what they got out of Aaron Crow trade. Yeah. At least on that side, so that wins something, I guess. Uh, except you know, minus the fact that he was a first round pick. But um, and then yeah, probably Rios because it's a one year. Then everything else they've ever done, and then the Edison Volquez. <laughs> so in other words, a big thumbs up for the entire offseason. Is that what I'm hearing from both of you? Oh, D plus. Yeah, I'd say D D plus. Yeah, I think that's what Jesse Spector over at uh, Sporting News gave him. Uh, but, you know, he's just a critical, critical spirit, so sure. we don't have to listen to his opinion. So uh, let's, let's turn to 2015 a little bit. Um, we saw the Pakoda standings come out from Baseball Prospectus uh, recently. Uh, a lot of Royals fans didn't uh, weren't very fond of him because they projected the Royals to go 72-90, and 90, which I believe was the, the time for the worst record in, uh, in all of baseball. Josh, uh, it was a game better than the Twins, I believe. I think the well, Twins were seventy-one and ninety-one. That's a flag we can hang on our man. You know, we can hang that flag up. <laughs> it's a banner. Yeah. So, Josh, how how seriously should we take the Pakota standings? Um, are there any flaws that stood out to you, or is this going to be a terrible season? Uh, it, didn't it have the? Start, I believe the starting rotation is like historically bad, which I don't think is possible. Right. Um, I I mean, I'm not. I'm not wild about their moves and I'm not wild about the prospect of them going forward into the season on the like hopes of like Duffy still being as good as he was last year and Ventura like stepping into being like the staff ace. Um, But 72 wins is kind of absurd. Like, I mean, I see them as a, you know, like true talent team of about 84 wins, maybe, maybe a little lower, but somewhere in there. And so I, I, 
I'm not making too much out of the Pakoda standings. Yeah, I think even as critical as we are, 72 and 90, just, I mean, it could happen, but it doesn't seem like oh, a yeah. likely scenario. I mean, yeah, I think if there's some injuries, some guys underperform, yeah, that could happen, but yeah, I don't, it seemed a little, a little low to me. Sean, you've had, you've had a chance to look at some of the individual player Pakoda projections. What, what stood out to you so far as far as the Royals? May, a couple things. One, they, they really hate our pitching and, and, and maybe it's, it's a, it's a philosophical difference because everyone's used to fan graphs and looking at their, uh, their wins above replacement while baseball prospectus uses wins above replace warp, wins above replacement players. So a little different methodology there. Um, you know, fan graphs uses FIP as their metric. Baseball prospectus uses, uh, ERA, earned runs as theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just, is brutal, as Josh mentioned, for the pitchers there. Um, you can have the argument on which one's better in runs against FIP, but I, I it's, I mean, it's it's very notoriously bad as far as the way they have them there. Um, meanwhile, another big thing on there was uh, they use a little different defensive metrics, and it's overall, I mean, we have to wait for Zips to come out and see what it says compared to Steamer or even Oliver when those come out, but. I mean, it's got Alex Gordon as a four-win player, and then there's almost a two-win drop-off. It projects the second-best Royals player to be uh, Lorenzo Cain and Omar Infante and tied for the same two. So hmm. I can't say it'd be a bad year, but if, if next year Omar Infante is better than what would be Perez and Hosmer and Rios, then I, I think, yeah, that might be a 72-win season because, right. you know, those guys are, are pretty good. And there's a pretty large discrepancy as well between – the Pakoda projections and Steamer projections, and of course we'll see uh, Zips projections. I mean, Pakoda's got Perez at just about two wins. Meanwhile, I think Steamer has him at three and a half wins. So, I mean, there's there's a win and a half plus Gordon's about a win and a half lower. I mean, it's a lot adds up in the discrepancy. So, it's mainly base running, and um, Baseball Prospectus uses uh, fielding runs above average rather than UZR which is what uh, Fangraft uses, and a little different methodology on there as well. Um, so I, I think they're they're much more bearish on the fielding metrics and the pitching metrics. So it, it's a thing. I mean, it has no – not that it has no weight, but it, it's definitely going to be much, much different than um, what I think will really happen. Uh, 72 wins is just low. Um, Ned Yost, we had FanFest recently. Ned Yost, I guess the big news out there is he said Alcides Escobar – most likely will be the leadoff man. Mm-hmm. Alcides Escobar has a lifetime on base percentage, I think, below 300. But he has speed, which is what Ned loves. And he can bunt and handle the bat and all those great old-school 80s things that Ned Yost loves to do. Yep. Josh, uh, how do you see the Ned Yost lineup going from there? Uh, I mean, it's it's frustrating to see, <laughs> to see that Escobar <laughs> is going to be the leadoff man. Um, you know, I'd love to go back to the days of Alex Gordon being lead off. And, um, I don't know. I have a feeling that it's going to shape up to be something like Escobar, um, Escobar, Kane. Um, I, I mean, I wish Hosmer at three, I guess, uh, what Morales at four, Gordon at five, Six Rios, seven, uh, or six Perez, seven Rios, eight and nine being uh, whoever's left. 
<laughs> on Fonte and Moose. Infante, yeah. Infante and Moose. It, uh, and Moose. Flipped around. Yeah. Yeah. What would you? What would, be, what would be more ideal lineup for you? I mean, Gordon obviously leading leading off. I would say t- take it. Yeah. Yeah, Gordon lead off. Uh, man, I really hate the lineup. Um, <laughs> obviously, I, I Gordon Kane. Gordon Kane, Hosmer, Perez maybe at four. Um, I mean, it it a lot depends on what Rios and Morales end up being. Yeah. Um, and then you know hide hide the terrible bats at the end. Yeah, but it's uh, Ned's certainly going to try his best to uh, wear out any good welcome he had from last October <laughs> as quickly as he can. Uh, Sean, the other guy that that kind of emerged from last. The last postseason was Brandon Finnegan, uh, the young rookie left-handed pitcher. That was a first-round pick last year. Uh, he came out of the pen at the end of last year, but I think a lot of people think long-term he's going to be more of a starting pitcher. Where do you see him? You know, he hasn't. They haven't committed any role to him so far. They asked him, uh, "What you know? You may." They told him, "I guess you may be in the bullpen. You may be in the rotation in the minors." Where do you see him beginning the season? I think he goes to Double A. Um, I don't think they're going to repeat the the kind of what some people call the crow situation there, where um, crow didn't all star Aaron Crow situation. All star, that's true. I'm, yeah, that's true. Uh, so great, all star Brandon Finnegan. Uh, <laughs> but uh, crow just didn't have the pitches to do it. Meanwhile, Finnegan's obviously needs to start. the the um, The old school thought that short guys can't stick or they're they're not as durable has been proven wrong. Uh, so there's. Uh, there's basically a, a no reason except for he fails in the rotation, which he was one of the better starters in all of college baseball last year. Um, was a could have been number one overall at one point, or at least top couple two or three. So yeah, I think he goes to Double A, um, and they start him out in the rotation. There's a there's a chance that he if he does go to Double A and starts the rotation that he could be in the majors. Um, certainly, I don't think any need necessarily to rush him per se because he is a. Um, a guy who just needs to continue to log in, needs to work on his stuff. He's got um, some delivery issues that can be kind of worked out or cleaned up. But other than that, yeah, double A, I think, is where he goes. And um, he and Zimmer and, and Manaya all in that rotation. And Miguel Amante, maybe Christian Benford. That's going to be a fun uh, Northwest Arkansas rotation right there. Yeah, is there is there a pitch you think he's going to be working on, kind of a third pitch to work on? Or is, he, is it more of just stretching him out? No, I think it's um, – you know, I, I I think he gave up his changeup, I, I, and that was one of his better pitches. I think if he ranked his pitches, it, it would go fastball, slider, changeup. But I think um, at times the changeup was almost as good as his slider. But he really went away, I believe, during the regular season. He went away from the changeup, and then even in the playoffs, I think he threw like two or three total changeups. I could be wrong. It might be slider, but mm-hmm. I think it's his changeup that he basically abandoned. So I bet they'll work on that um, a, a lot more with him. And, uh, you know, as a lefty, having that changeup to get right-handed hitters out is going to be absolutely crucial towards success. And as Royals Review commenters will always say, specifically, you know, Scott and, and Gopher Ball is there, you can't succeed without a changeup, which I, right. I agree with. My my early prediction is that Brandon Finnegan will be a, a source of a lot of discussion on our site this year. <laughs> I think they're, they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of debate on how the Royals handle him and uh, good and bad. I, you know, I don't. It's it's going to be an interesting season to see how they handle Finnegan, and they're going to be really tempted, I think, to to come and bring him in the pen if they're at all competitive. Right. The pin's pretty stacked, though. It, I mean, you know, they uh, all it takes is an in, you know an injury or two. You know, true, true. And Luke Hochaber's recovering from uh, oh, surgery, yes. so. 
Well, we'll see. I, I don't know. Maybe they'll be able to resist the temptation. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe the pen's so stacked it's never an issue, but we'll see. Uh, you know, we've seen other teams be pretty aggressive this season, in uh, this offseason, improving the ball clubs. I mean, San Diego's one of them. Uh, the Dodgers, certainly, but also a lot of American League clubs, especially in the Central, uh, like the Chicago White Sox, who were a 73-win fourth-place club last year. Uh, this offseason, they've gone out and added Adam LaRoche, uh, a couple other big players, uh, Jeff Samarja. Uh, Josh, looking at the Central Division right now, uh, knowing that the Tigers are still kind of the Tigers, Indians are still a pretty talented club that added Brandon Moss, uh, and the Twins even, I mean, they added Irvin Santana. You can, you know, debate how much value they added with that. But uh, how hard does the Central Division seem to you right now? Well, I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's particularly stacked with, like, high talent teams. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think the Tigers are, well, they're inarguably worse without Scherzer. They're without V-Mark for the first, for the first, what, two or three months of the season. Um you know, Miguel Cabrera's recovering from surgery. They think he'll be fine, but, I mean, you know, he's certainly going to miss most of spring training. Um, I, you know, I think the Tigers take a step back unless they do something shocking. Um, but, you know, their pitching's, their pitching's worse. Um, so I, I think it's less, it's less, uh, like stratified than it was, than it was, uh, like last year or certainly the year before. Um, the Tigers come back to earth a little bit, and they're all, you know, they're obviously aging. Like, I think the Indians, the Indians are tough. They may be the best team in the division, honestly. Um, you know, the White Sox have closed the gap, and the Twins are going to start getting better, you know, as they start to have their impact talent arrive. Um, you know, last year sucked for the Twins because they lost, they, <laughs> they lost a year of development on both Sano and Buxton, but, you know, they were both relatively close, and Snow could be up as early as midseason. So, yeah, it's it's a lot tighter. What about you, Sean? What do you think? Uh, what do you think about the American League as a whole right now? Because the Royals kind of took advantage of a, I think it was kind of a down league last year, especially with Oakland having their swan dive and Detroit maybe underachieving. Is this does this seem like a more competitive league that the Royals are going to have to struggle just to just to tread water in? Yeah, and you know. Kind of as Josh was saying, yeah, the Central is different. I mean, so so Pakoda has the best team, the Tigers, at 82 and 80, which I would love for the Tigers to go 82 <laughs> and be the number one team. Which is also a big red flag why the Pakoda standings may be low enough. <laughs> yes, right. I mean, they've got the Cincinnati Reds finishing last in the NL Central, which would put them better than the Royals, the White Sox, the Twins. So um, they really hate the AL Central and. I think overall, yeah, the NL, I think NL is a lot better, a lot stronger teams in NL, but um, specifically with the Royals, I mean, it's almost thankful. We used to hate having to play, you know, everybody in the Central, the Twins and the Tigers, um, and even the White Sox in the early 2000s there, uh, or mid-2000s, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm somewhat happy uh, to be in the AL Central because I don't think any team stands out exceptionally well in the AL Central. So it's one of those years where the Royals, like they had last year, could have some real good sequencing luck like they did and uh, see themselves you know, a little better than 82, 83, 84 wins in that range would be great. So, And I think that's 84 wins would put you probably you know, five wins away or so from competing in the Central in the second wild card, which – at this point in baseball is what you want to be, at least trying for the second wild card. 
which would give Dayton a more, you know, a lot of reason to go for a big trade in midseason, and we'll all be real excited about that. True. Yeah, Steven Strasburg <laughs> midseason. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We had a great talk, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Royals this year. I'm sure we'll have a lot to discuss as the season goes on. We'll have to have you back uh, again sometime. And, Max, can I just say that to um, to Ned Yost's credit, Alcides Escobar's best uh, slot split is is first overall. He's got a career best 122 OPS plus batting leadoff. So maybe what kind of sample size is that? 25 whole games. <laughs> well, there so. you go. Yeah. It's, hard, <laughs> it's hard to deny that. I mean, yeah. You know, the stat the stats don't lie, right? They don't lie. So. Yeah. <laughs> Ned's been doing his baseball reference research. So well, Ned, yeah, Ned's been looking at his baseball reference for sure. Yeah. So all right, guys. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks. All right, for our final segment, I wanted to have a special guest for each episode. And uh, our very first special guest will be uh, a friend of mine by the name of Brennan Gary. He's a, a lifelong Kansas Cityan, and he's a diehard Royals fan. And uh, I wanted to bring him on because we were able to go to the World Series together last year, which still seems like a crazy thing to say. So anyway, Brennan, Brennan Gary, welcome to the show. How does it feel to be the first ever guest on the Royals Review podcast? Uh, it is a true honor, Max. <laughs> well, good. It should be. Um uh, well, we uh, we went to the World Series together. First of all, does that has that sunk in that we went to the World Series together last year? I, it, those words in combination with one another in that order do not make any sense to me still. Yeah, it's it's it still seems kind of like a dream to me. And uh, you know, I actually, I, I you know, I think I joked to you once before. I, I never even dreamt of something like that happening because it just seemed too insane. Um, mm-hmm. We went to Game uh, One and Game Seven together. And uh, the Royals lost both of those games. So did you want to take this opportunity to kind of apologize to Royals fans everywhere for being the reason the Royals lost those two games? Yeah, I think I think I probably should take full blame for that. Um, both of those games we did lose. and uh, had nothing to do with Mass and Bumgarner. <laughs> it had nothing to do with it. And it had nothing to do with it. There were, there were several other people there, I think, when we were there. So um, they witnessed it as well. But uh, I, I just remember going through my day. Before the game, before both of those games, thinking, I'm going to a World Series game tonight. And then when I get in the parking lot, I think, I'm in front of Royal Stadium and I'm about to attend a World Series game. And pretty much every milestone that day went the exact same way. And <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing kind of just rolled up into one big, just couldn't believe it was happening. Well, that's kind of the crazy thing about the postseason run last year is like, we just didn't have a chance to like, to really breathe at all. Like, you know, okay, hey, we made the playoffs for the first time in 29 years. Cool, it's a wild card game. Oh, we won that. Great. And one of the most exciting wild card games I've ever had. Oh, by the way, you're going to sweep the Angels now. You're in your you're in the ALCS for the first time in 29 years. Oh, that's cool. Oh, by the way, you swept the Orioles. Now you're you're in the World Series. It's like we didn't uh, you know, some teams they you know, they get to the playoffs and then they they lose and then they pine about it for a couple of years and you're like, "Oh, when are we ever going to get back?" and and we just kind of ran the gamut right through the right through October. I don't know. It didn't. In a way, it almost didn't give us a chance to maybe appreciate it. So I don't know if you've had a chance to maybe you know marinate with it all off season. Is it giving you a little more perspective on what they accomplished? Looking at some national media and watching several things just just nationally gave me a lot of perspective because obviously it was an experience for everybody here because none of us had experienced it for so many years. And but to be able to get national perspective and listen to what other out- outlets were saying, it, it truly was special. 
Um, the, the online polls that you saw about the number of people that were rooting for the Kansas City Royals in the in the series last year was was heavily slanted towards the Royals. It, it just America's team there for a little while where everybody kind of got behind us and it was a lot of fun. And everyone had always said if you put a winner on the field, they'll come out in droves. It's a great baseball town, and there's a whole generation, two generations of people who just have never had an opportunity to see a winner on the field. And so it was interesting to see what what really truly could happen when we had something to get behind. And, and that's what I thought was special was we said it all along and we proved it, I think, as a city, and I was really proud of that. Yeah, I'll be really interested in seeing how, you know, how are they able to build off of this, you know, this year. I think I've kind of said we're a baseball town for a long time because I was here, you know, in the 80s a little bit when they were successful. And, you know, they they drew 2 million fans a, a year and the Chiefs were the ones that, you know, had empty stadiums. So I'll be... I'll be really curious. I, you know, it takes sometimes it takes time to build that fan base back up, but I sense a lot of excitement. I've seen a lot more Royals gear than I've ever seen before, and uh, you know, I see people talking about. I know we've got we've got a ton of traffic on our site. I think people are really excited about this year. Um, so I don't, I don't, I, I'm really excited about it. Um, I had only planned on attending one of the World Series games, and I don't know. I think you maybe you you had the same feeling. Yeah. Uh, I ended up going to game two and game six due to circumstance. Uh, and then about the seventh inning of game six, we got a text from our friend Carson. Um, and I think basically all the text said was, uh, we're going to game seven. And uh, I, I was like, oh, I've spent too much money. Yeah, I can't I can't possibly go to game seven. Uh, and then he, I think his only response is, we're going. And uh, yep. so I was like, oh, I got, <laughs> that's a good case. You make a good case. Uh, how much convincing did you need to go to game seven and uh, – just how cool of experience was that to, to actually get to go to a Game 7 of World Series? Uh, when it got to the point where it was clear in Game 6 there was going to be a Game 7 and we knew that it was going to happen, there was no amount of money in my mind that I probably wouldn't spend um, <laughs> to, to go. And I immediately started looking at online sites. Early in the game, uh, the tickets were a little more reasonable, but as the game wore on and it became more apparent, uh, it's it, the, the obviously free market dictates pricing, <laughs> so it certainly took off. And I just told my my wife understands. Luckily, unfortunate that she she knows it's a sickness and and uh, we've was, been saving was, up money for twenty nine years. So well, yeah, yeah, I've been yeah putting a slush fund aside. So I just told her, <laughs> look, look, we're there's a group going. I'm going. She's like, there's no doubt in my mind you're going. So you know, have fun. And I honestly I did try to take the entire family to game to game one um, and told my wife, here's my budget. Here's what I have in mind. I'm good with it what do you think? And she just said, you know, I know you love the Royals and I know you want to go. And, uh, I love quite a bit myself, but I just don't know if, if I have the same level that you do. So you go have fun. And, uh, so, so I didn't, I didn't spend on two games what I would have spent taking the whole family to one. So I think I saved money. There, there you go. So you, you would have lost money had you not gone to the game. <laughs> that's the way you got to look at it. Exactly right. Now I don't know I don't know if we've actually talked about this since uh since that game but uh would you would you have sent Alex Gordon? No. No. And the reason why is because and I think Jerry knew this obviously because he's that's his job and he and he does a great job at it I think but that exact throw had taken place earlier in the game from nearly that exact same spot. And I think given another opportunity um I think he pipes it at home plate, and I think Alex is probably um, dead meat. 
and and knowing what we know now, of course, too, he wasn't a hundred percent after the fact, and, right. and I, I think all of that in, in rolls into one thing that just I don't I don't think he makes it, and I'm glad it didn't send him because I'm glad that's not what we're talking about. I'm glad that we didn't have to see it play out that way and anybody be a goat, especially Alex, who's been with the organization since the beginning. Jershali, who's fairly new to the organization, uh, I'm, I'm thankful it didn't play out that way on national television. Yeah, and I think you got to give your guys the best opportunity to, to succeed, and I think that means putting the bat in Salvi's hands, even though he's been struggling for the last you know two months of the year. I believe he had a home run earlier in the series off Bumgarner too, so it's not like he you know had no chance. But you know, I agree with you. I think he would have been dead, dead meat unless. You know, somehow Crawford bobbles, and Crawford has a good arm. He's a, you know, excellent defensive shortstop, so there's not much of a chance of that happening. But, you know, when I'm out walking the dog, I have my thoughts to myself. I sometimes I just kind of picture what would have been like if Alex Gordon, you know, if there had been one more bobble, and Alex Gordon, right, right. you know, circles the bases, and I, you know, just thinking about him scoring, it gives me goosebumps. And, I know. And it, that if he does, if he scores on that somehow. That's that's the one of the coolest World Series moments ever, right? I mean, that's right. in all of baseball history. That's got to be one of the coolest ones. <laughs> yeah, it, it would rank up there with Bobby Thompson's home run, Kirk Gibson's home run. I mean, it would it would be one of the all time greats um, in in the annals of history for for sure. And uh, it's a shame. I I thought I was hoping that he, if he if he did send him that Crawford with a good arm might get a little geeked up and airmail one, and and he'd get in under it. That that's what I was hoping in my mind in those in that blur. But uh, like I said, I'm, I'm thankful that he didn't send him because uh, we got to see how it played out. And Salvi had an opportunity and uh, he was just out of gas, I think. Yeah. And they're, they're just, they had a great run and they just fell a little bit short, but Hey, that's what, you know, you're also a Cubs fan and they always say, wait till next year. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe it'll, maybe it'll be in the cards for the Royals this year. So let's, uh, let's kind of look forward to, to this year and, and, and the moves they made after that World Series, uh, how excited are you for the Alex Rios era in Kansas City? Um, I would say I'm intrigued. Um, so I would. <laughs> well, he's an intriguing player. I mean, he's kind of an up and down guy. I mean, yeah. and they're bouncing, they're counting on him to bounce back, obviously. Yes. Uh, I think it's he's similar to a Justin Maxwell type player that they had before. I think that's the role they wanted Maxwell to play, and he never kind of panned out into it. But but Rios is, certainly has a lot more talent. Um, it's nice to have a guy like that in the lineup who could change this, the the game in in a matter of one swing, which we don't have a lot of, which is nice uh, to have this year. I think uh, he he's been knocked around for his defense a little bit, but but frankly, watching as many games as I did last year. Uh, and watching Aoki and his circuitous routes to the ball, like, yeah, I can't imagine his defense is any worse. But the only knock on him, and I have read quite a bit about it from the, from the Chicago media, is that he tends to take time off. Um, <laughs> they didn't go so far as to say that he was lazy, but they didn't think that his work habits were. So I'm anxious to see that. I know this organization is not going to tolerate that kind of thing. So I think with a fresh start, a lot of folks really excel, and I'm, I'm hopeful that that's the case with Rios because I'm excited to see what he can do with a bat. Well, yeah, I think he's, he's, he's an athletically talented guy. And I don't know if you remember a guy uh, back in the 90s, uh, Kevin McReynolds with the Royals. Uh, yes. I think in a lot of ways he reminds me of McReynolds, for better or worse. And he's uh, They're both like really talented guys that could, that could really do a little bit of everything run and hit and field, but uh, you know, for whatever reason just seem to have it in, uh, 
in a low gear at a lot of times and uh, just, you know, seemed disinterested in playing baseball at times. So hopefully Rios being on a one-year deal, that will motivate him a little bit more. I guess that's what we'll have to, we'll have to bank on with Rios. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw on Twitter today, I, I, I was going around uh, Billy Butler in a Oakland A's uniform. I guess they were taking oh. photos or something in Oakland. It, it, I gotta be honest, it made me a little sick <laughs> seeing him in that, uh, that bright yellow and green. Now, I, 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 I wouldn't have picked up the option on him. It was like twelve and a half million dollars, and I, I don't think I would have given him the three, three-year, three thirty million dollar contract Oakland did. But, but, uh, you know, what? Do you think Kendris Morales will allow us to forget about Billy Butler, or do you think that they're just going to have some sort of drop, some kind of drop off, no matter what? No, I think I think it was a good pickup, and I think a change of scenery for Billy will do well. Obviously, there was some sniping a little bit last year about him playing first base and getting some time on defense, especially when Hosmer was hurt. And he, when he saw the field, his his production instantaneously went up. So um, he's probably got a better opportunity to platoon there in Oakland. Hopefully, and he'll see more field um, time with them. But you know, Morales is solid. I think we'll have an opportunity to uh, see a lot of Hosmer at first base this year. Hopefully, so. Um, but I, I like having his bat in the lineup. He's a good contact guy a good gap-to-gap guy. So I think in terms of trading one for the other, I don't, I don't, I don't think you lose anything. And I'd like to think maybe that with Wade Butler's power numbers dropped last year and his doubles uh, production and, and home runs fell off, I'd like to think that Morales might actually be a little bit of an upgrade in the power department. So hopefully that holds up. Um, the guy's a professional hitter, so I'd like to think that that's, in a, in a minute scale, a bit of an upgrade. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that Morales will, will at least has the potential to be more of a power threat. And if that's what they're looking for, I think that you know that's what they'll get. I'm a little concerned of his on-base percentage, and uh, and he obviously he's coming off a terrible season. But I, uh, I guess it just remains to be seen, uh, you know, how much power he can provide, especially in this stadium too. And they've they've always kind of been concerned with power in, in Kauffman Stadium. But uh, yeah, I. I I'll be honest, I didn't like the Rio signing at all. Morales signing, I kind of get, although I was kind of curious that they, you know, they made waves about they didn't like a full-time DH all season, and then they couldn't sign a full-time DH. But, uh, right. you know, right. Uh, maybe they you know, could have been just a smokescreen or, or you know, who knows. Dayton, Dayton Moore works in mysterious ways. Um, he does. He does. And you make a great point about Rios uh, being that it's a one-year deal. The fact that Rios will turn 34 on the 18th of February means he's got uh, – Somebody's probably going to give him. He's probably going to want a two-year deal from someone after this year, so he needs to really step it up if he's going to get us to sign him again, or if he really some, expects someone to, to to jump on that wagon um, in the future at 35 when the season ends next year. Um, I, I'd like to think that the economics of it will dictate that he's going to he's going to give us everything he's got. Yeah, I think the the, the good thing at least is we signed a lot of these guys to short term deals. If it doesn't work out, I mean I think they can cut their ties and you know not not feel like they're they're holding on to an albatross contract. And also these guys are playing they're playing for their next contract. So I think you're right that at least there'll be a little bit of motivation factor there. Uh, another guy they signed to a short term deal uh, was pitcher Edison Volquez. I don't think anyone has any illusions he'll replace James Shields as far as production, but uh, I kind of like this signing. Um, He's a he's a guy that you know is a, is a little wild, but but uh, had a pretty good season last year, and maybe looks like he's improving. And he, he's still kind of a younger guy, at least as, as far as free agents. So I don't know. 
what 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 are your kind of thoughts on on Volquez and how he fits in this rotation? I think he fits in, fits in well. I think the the maturation of of Ventura and and Duffy last year certainly helps. I don't think we were ever going to replace James Shields and his production. Um, it's kind of a rarity in this game anyway anymore with the last decade that he's had in terms of the number of innings that he grinds out year after year after year. So that would have been difficult to to find on the open market, especially with the dearth of pitching that's out there this year. I like the I like the pickup. I think it's a good get. I think that he's a good middle to back end of the rotation guy, and I'm also glad that um, that folks like Ventura and even Vargas to some degree uh, and and Duffy got an opportunity to spend as much time around Shields as they did. Um, cause they're, I think they're a lot better now than they were at least the mental makeup and their approach and things like that. They got to see a true professional at work. And I think that was a huge benefit and, and it happened at a good time. And now they're, they're ready to take on a full season this year, the both of them. So I'm excited to see how that works out. And I think, I think Volquez, um, how he fits into the rotation middle to the back end. I think it's a good fit. Yeah. I think if he, if he's your number four starter, I think you're probably in a, in a pretty good place. Finally, they signed Chris Medlin who is a former Braves pitcher, to a short-term deal. He's a two-time Tommy John survivor. Uh, so he is an injury risk, but when he's healthy, he's uh, he's got some good stuff. What do, what do you know about Chris Medlin? Well, I know that, that he, he's coming over from the National League, so he's going to have to adjust. Um, that, that's not as big a deal, I don't think, anymore as it used to be because people move around way more than they, they used to. That also means, though, you're not facing a pitcher four times a game. So... Um, He'll have to contend with that a little bit, so the ERAs tend to go up. But it's an interesting story. you got to admire somebody that's got that kind of gut, really, to come back from two of those surgeries. Um, I think that's that's shows a lot about his character and probably a, a lot more about his heart. They're, they're talking that he's probably going to be available in the middle of the year. So that's going to be nice to have in your hip pocket. Um, it's, it's somewhat like having Chin last year. Is he in the bullpen? Is he going to start? What's he going to do? And you have Ventura, Vargas, Guthrie, Duffy, Volquez, and then as the sum as the summer starts to wear on, you get to the All Star break. You got a guy like Medlin who could drop in. I think it, that that's a really nice luxury to have. It'll be interesting to see how they handle the rotation with uh, Medlin and, and possibly Brandon Finnegan also available mid season. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice hedge against your bet that someone gets hurt because. We've seen Ventura and Duffy both have injury concerns, uh, and with pitchers, you just you never know. I mean, we saw a rash of guys around the leg get hurt at the beginning of last year, so it's you know it's probably a good idea to have seven or eight guys you can put out there at any given time. Uh, so yeah, I, I I agree with you. I, I think I love the Medlin signing. I think it was well received on our site. For anyone that thinks we're just dating more haters, I mean, look at the Chris Medlin thread because uh, I think everyone was unanimous that it was just a terrific low cost high upside signing that that could really prove uh, great rewards for the Royals for the next couple of years. So really, uh, really. Yeah. What do you think they're going to do with Finnegan? You think they're going to have him start in uh, actually start in the minors and to get him ready for starting in the majors? You think they'll put him in the pen? Our pen's long. Yeah, I, I think they will start him now. I, I'm a little surprised they haven't completely committed to that already. Uh, and someone asked him at FanFest, and he said, yeah, I'm willing to do, you know, they told me I, to be prepared to go to the pen, to, to start in the minors, to do whatever. I, I don't see any way he would start out in the pen. I think they've got a deep pen. I think you got to see if he can be a major league starting pitcher, and it just makes 
all the sense of the world to have them go to double A AA or triple A and, and learn to develop a third pitch to become, you know, stretch out his arm to, to become that starting pitcher because they're going to need another starting pitcher to step in because Guthrie is probably a free agent at the end of the year if, he, if they don't pick up his option. Um, mm-hmm. And so you'll probably need someone to step in the next year or two to fill in, to fill in some of those needs. So. Uh, that's what I hope they do, but sometimes they they make moves that confound me. So you never know. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, looking forward to 2015. Some some uh, projections came out this week. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Pocota at all. It's kind of a player projection system. They have projected yes. 72 wins for the Royals, which I'm a pessimistic guy. I'm a stat guy. I thought that was pretty low, and I think even some of the stat guys on our site pointed out that that the projection was just radically. Uh, you know, undervaluing our pitching and our defense. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't think that's there's too much of a concern of that happening. Uh, but what are you kind of looking at as a as a as a most likely scenario? What's kind of your best case scenario for the Royals in 2015? So I, I would say somewhere 89 wins, 90. The, the division did get quite a bit better. There was a lot of moves within our division. We have to play those guys quite a bit this year. Uh, Indians got quite a bit better improved. The White Sox made some moves, um, and even you know Detroit um, has seemed to be kind of going a little bit younger and a little bit faster. Although um, with the meniscus injury today to Martinez, we'll see where that goes. Um, but I'm sure he'll be ready by opening day. But anyway, our, our division seems to be a lot stronger than it was last year with the, the newcomers coming in. So, like I said, we play those guys a lot. Uh, so I'm gonna. I'm going to put us at about 89. Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And you're right, the Pakotas had our entire pitching staff, not a single starter in the Pakota forecast, had anybody under like a 4.2 ERA, so that, which would be historically the worst pitching staff ever. <laughs> so uh, I don't think that holds up. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. And, uh, you know, I, the, th- the thing that does worry me, though, is I think the, the Royals would have to improve just to kind of keep up the league, like you said, because everyone – I think the league was kind of down last year, and um, and you're right. I think a lot of guys, in the, a lot of teams in the division have gotten better. The Royals, I think, will have to improve just to get where they were last year. But um, I, I don't know. I guess I kind of see them as more of an 84 win team. I think I can squint and kind of see 89, 90 wins if like Hosmer turns into an All Star, Ventura and Duffy become a really solid starter, you know, top of the shelf starters. Then I can, you know, I think I think 90 wins would, would definitely be within reach with the defense they have, even if the offense uh, isn't very good. I think it'll be better than it was last year, just because Mustakas won't be as bad. Hosmer could get a little bit better. I think uh, Gordon kind of had a bad September. Salvi had his slump down the stretch. So I, I can see it. I, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of more variance this year. Um, do you think there's kind of a window of success that we, we, you know, our time is limited that we've got to kind of make make use of the time we've got, or do you, do you think that this is a sustainable, you know, team they've got going on here that can last for the next six seven years? Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the people that we have on the periphery are signed to short term deals, so we've got a lot of one and two year contracts, especially in the bullpen. So um, it's obviously it's a little easier to find bullpen arms these days. There's there's quite a bit of pitching out there, but the the chemistry we have and everybody that's put together works really well together. Um, so I'd like to see it sustained for a long time. The only thing that concerns me is that they're they're very cautious with their payroll and and that means not locking guys up 
too terribly long. Now we have several folks that are locked up for long term, the younger guys that we've had in the system. But um, like I said, a lot of the peripheral people are are on short term deals. So this team could look completely different in 2017. Uh, half the team could be gone. So it'll be interesting to see where they go. Um, Dayton's contract and uh, Ned's contract both coincide um, and mature at the same time. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes after, say, 2017. Yeah, they're going to have some interesting choices to make because there's there's a lot of guys, a lot of guys that are part of the young nucleus that are going to start getting really expensive. I think like 2017, like you say, and I think they're going to it's going to be really important that they have guys to kind of step up in minor leagues and, and replace them. So I think the, the their minors had I think down year last year, but I think everyone realizes those those guys have a lot of talent, uh, but they're going to have to show it this year I think and and be able to step in and, and fill those holes. Um, well, and the money in Major League Baseball has gone completely insane, especially with the, the contracts that they're getting from television from the, these larger markets, um, billion-dollar contracts in TV. So the, the salaries have gone right along with it. They're going to have to do something about their TV money and to be able to compete because um, organically they're not going to generate that kind of revenue here in this town. Um, they're also like bad. one of the worst uh, local TV deals in, yeah. uh, in the major leagues right now. Yeah, them and the Houston Astros, well, the Kansas City Royals and the Houston Astros have the two worst television deals, and they're both locked up to, like, 2020, so they're going to have to do something. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah, it was probably good money then. Well, it should be a, a fun season, I think. You know, at least for the first time in a long time, we can have a lot of optimism going into the year. And one of the things that will be fun going into this year is that the Royals will be headed to uh, Chicago to not to play the White Sox, but to play the uh, the Cubbies. Yep. Uh, I think I think it's their first trip to Wrigley Field, or at least first in a really long time. Uh, you and I, I believe, are planning on going to Chicago to see the Royals. Are we still in? Are we still on? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I know there's like 20 guys that we're friends with that are have said hey, expressed an interest, but I have a feeling it's going to be probably just a few hardcore fans that are going to be able to get up to to go see the game. But uh, yeah. you've been to, you've been to Wrigley before. What, what's kind of what was kind of your Wrigley experience before? Yeah, Wrigley's a lot of fun, uh, especially when you get out of town to some of these stadiums that are older that are built literally right in the middle of a neighborhood. So you've got you've got all the local stuff that happens day to day. You've got people going to work. You've got people taking mass transit, uh, people coming to and fro <laughs> to restaurants and such that are within the neighborhood. So Fenway's like that. Uh, Wrigley, of course, is like that. Um, even Bush Stadium in St. Louis is in the middle of downtown, so you've got that element of, of it. So it's interesting to visit somewhere else. Um, because of the way our stadium is sit, sits in a giant parking lot and there's really nothing around it. Um, so Wrigley is just the charm, the history. I like history and I like baseball. And when you combine the two things, um, it's, it's a lot of fun for me. Um, but it's just a great place. They've got a lot of great restaurants. Um, it's just everything you touch in and around that area has a story and it's just a lot of fun to hang around. So I'm, I'm looking forward to making it back up there uh, and I'm excited about going. And we should have a. I know that a couple people on the Royals Review side have expressed an interest in going. I, I think we actually have a couple of readers from Chicago, so I'm sure we'll have some sort of meetup. I know that well, I've heard there's a bar in Wrigleyville, I think called Tunes, that is kind of. The rumor is they're going to be Royal Central that weekend. I don't know if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard something about a pig row, so we'll have to check that out and see if that's for true. As that as that weekend approaches. I'm sure we'll have a, 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 a Royals fans guide to Chicago and Wrigleyville, but uh, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. 
I think there's going to be I think there's going to be a lot of Royals fans there because there's a lot of Kansas City transplants in Chicago, and uh, I can see a lot of fans also making that trip out to Chicago. It's only half an hour to fly up there, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on pump for it. So, well, and, and I, I I do some traveling for um, for the job that I have, and and I everywhere I go, there's Royals gear everywhere. I love it. It's it's nice if you feel part of a you know a community that's you know, people that are excited and are growing. I mean. Hey, there's plenty of room on the bandwagon. Is what I there's think. plenty of room. And, I, and whenever I was out of town and I saw somebody in Royals, I, I always said something to them. Yeah. Just if, if passing in an airport or something, I'd give them a nod, you know, and everybody kind of knew what was going on. So uh, that's not the case anymore. But, you know, hopefully they're all true fans and they're not just buying gear because it's a nice color blue. <laughs> well, speaking of trips, uh, I, I had a piece a couple weeks ago about Royals Fantasy Camp and uh, and it looked like a lot of fun. You know, if I ever have $4,000 sitting around, you know, I'm definitely going uh, you know, it seems like a great time to go play with some of the Royals legends of, of the past. Uh, you have actually gotten a chance to play with some Royals legends. Uh, so I was wondering if, you know, you could just kind of close out with, uh, your story about the chance, the time you got to play with some Royals and, uh, how that came to be. Yeah, it was kind of a, a fluke how it actually came to be. Willie Wilson had a, uh, he has a charitable organization that he utilizes, um, celebrity games and they do it out of the t-bones they have the last few years um but in 2010 they decided to have one at kaufman and so it didn't seem to get a lot of run uh, on the auction sites and on the royals website and as a result my wife won an online auction for me to be an honorary third base coach during this game and the game consisted of former royals players playing against other former major leaguers. Um, and, th- th- I, and I found out since then that there's a bit of a circuit where these guys go around to different stadiums and play these old-timers games, um, celebrity softball and what have you before them, to raise money for charity. So this was a dental charity here in Kansas City that Wilson chose that year. So um, my wife went online and won this auction for Father's Day. And what it consisted of was um, to be an honorary third-base coach, uh, you got a full powder blue Royals uniform, um, which was awesome. Which, which, you wear, which you wear every Wednesday to softball. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I wear it to wherever, church, it just, yeah. I, you know, whatever I can get away with. But uh, it has my name on it and the whole thing. So that had it ended there, that would have been a pretty phenomenal thing. Because when I got there, um, you know, you have all these people just walking around. Um, George Brett, Willie Wilson, Frank White, Dennis Leonard, John Wathen, Steve Busby was in town, which is interesting because he's the Rangers color guy. So I don't I don't know what he was doing in town, but he came in for it. Uh, Patek was the manager of the team, and then uh, actually Willie Aikens was was walking around on the field. He didn't play, but he was there, um, and uh, seemed like he was kind of getting back into the fold about that time. Um, we played. They played against a team that consisted of um, a former guy from the Red, Rob Robinson, um, heavy hitter in the '70s, George Foster. Um, Dave Stewart, who is now the general manager of the Diamondbacks, um, Ferguson Jenkins, and Bobby Dernier. So, um, I, a legit two legit Hall of Famers on the field between Bobby Dernier and I mean, excuse me, between <laughs> Ferguson Jenkins and George Brett. So that was a lot of fun. But what happened was there were so many guys that had come into town that they just wanted to shoot the breeze, really. <laughs> and so, first inning, I had already taken BP. I had played long toss in the outfield 
Um, so my day was complete. I was in good shape and the icing on the cake was really standing at third base, um, shooting the breeze with some of the farmland guys. Farmland's a huge sponsor. They had five or six guys in the game that got to play. So it was mostly Royals legends and farmland guys and then just me. So, um, so I'm standing at third. We score the first run. Willie Wilson, I get to wave him in from third. You know, um, he scores from second to home. So I wave him in. So I thought, well, this is, this is going to be great. If it, if it ended here, I'd just be fine. But what happened was in the second inning, I went in and I had told Freddie Potek, I'm like, look, somebody pulls a hamstring or doesn't want to play or something happens. I've played my entire life. And if you need somebody to fill a hole, I'm your guy. I had my glove and the whole thing. I didn't think much about it. So second inning starts. There's no shortstop. Nobody's standing in the shortstop. So he looks at Potek. So Freddie Potek looks around and three guys are sitting on the bench just shooting the breeze. They hadn't seen each other in a long time. So they didn't, they didn't want to play. They just want to visit, right? So, so he looks at me and says, Gary, grab your glove. Go play short. So I run up the steps and I take my glove and I run out. I catch my wife in the stands who bought me this thing and I look at her and she's looking at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why are you going to a position? Cause so, uh, my father-in-law is there and they're taking pictures and video and I just stand there and, and at short. And so first, first guy up is George Foster, that inning, who's still a large man, by the way. Um, and, and hit the ball still very hard. Um, CEO of Farmlands at third, uh, Foster hits a absolute BB at him, and he catches it off a hip, flips it up in the air um, behind him. I kind of run over instinctively to grab it. I grab it all in all in one motion. I go to throw it, and I had been playing Rex League softball for so long now that I forgot what it looked like to throw a ball when the diamond's 90 feet base, and they have 90 feet bases on the on the diamond. It's it's a it's a long way, and I'd forgotten, and promptly launched it into the first row of the stands behind the dugout (laughs) because I had to put what I thought was so much on it. It just took off on me. And Brett uh, went over George Brett's head and hammered his seat in the front row. And Brett rode me about it for about three solid innings, which he has a tendency (laughs) to do. Yeah. So, um, so that was fun. Pretty unbelievable. And as I'm trying to find a place to hide out in the field. There's nowhere to go. And I'm kicking dirt around and I kind of moseying over towards second base. And Frank White kind of takes a couple steps over and he goes, Hey, next time why don't you rotate the ball and get a four seam grip and it won't take off on you like that. And I was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll remember that when I get a ground ball hit to me, I'm just trying to catch. But, uh, so you just told him, you should have told him you're, you know, I know what I'm doing, you know, Mr. Gold Glove. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. So I don't need advice from you. No. So it was, it was unbelievable. The game wore on, um, you know, Frank White disappears to go to the booth. Um, George Brett goes up to his suite, you know, goes in showers, gets up to his suite and they're all hanging out. I, I did get an opportunity later in the game. We, they ran out of people to the point that I had to, I actually got to hit. Um, I, I, I hit off of Rob Robinson and, and, uh, popped up to third base. It was really, it was one of those deals after the game was over. It was one of those things I thought, I have never been more prepared for anything in my entire life, considering how much time I have spent on a baseball field. And I, I booted a ground ball, I threw one into the stands, and I popped it up twice to third base. <laughs> so, but, but I think we call that a Unieski. Yes, yeah, the the hat trick, um, Unieski hat trick. But 
all in all, it was one of those things where it just kind of kept going on and on. And I thought, well, if it ends here, this is going to be an amazing day. And then I got to do something else. And if, well, if it ends here, this is going to be an amazing day. And it just kind of kept going like that until finally, uh, I had it before I knew it, I, I was playing the field and it hit twice. And it was, it was, <laughs> it was unbelievable. And it was on TV. So it was televised and I had it on my DVR until it ate it. Um, and about two and a half years later, I came home and it was gone. So, uh, uh, but anyway, so it lives in infamy somewhere on video. That's pretty neat. You know, yeah, I, I recently wrote a piece about how, uh, you know, just asking people to share their stories about meeting Royals players. And I, I was kind of expecting a lot of them to be, oh, yeah, I, I tried to talk to George Brown and he was kind of brusque with me. But I was surprised that, like, how many people had stories about, oh, yeah, I talked to, talked to Jeff Montgomery and he was, a, he was a super guy. And I talked to Rex Hudler. I talked to... Uh, you know, uh, Kevin Seitzer, and he's just a really gracious with his time, and it's kind of cool to hear that, you know, the the ball players you met with were like, oh, yeah, come on and play with us, and, you know, it's not a big deal, and it's, I don't know, it's just kind of cool that baseball brings people together like that, and that's a really neat experience that I'm sure you'll remember the rest of your life, so. Yeah, absolutely amazing. It was, it was a lot of fun, and, uh, yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget it. Well, cool. Well, hey, Brendan, thanks so much for being the first guest ever on the Rose Reed Podcast, and we'll have to have you back sometime, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a fun season, and, and we'll get your thoughts on it, okay? Yeah, Max, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right, cool. Well, that wraps up our first episode. I want to thank Sean Newkirk, Josh Dugan, and Brendan Gary for being on the show today. I'd also like to thank the Fleshlights for providing the music you heard today. Their album, Free Yourself, is now available, and you can find links to it on our website. If you'd ever like to be a part of our show or know someone we can use as a guest, let us know in the comments below. We'll run these podcasts once a month during the off-season and twice a month during the regular season, so look for our next episode around mid-March. I'm Max Reaper, and thanks again for listening to Royals Review Radio.